0: Hi, guys, and happy belated Monday. I'm so sorry for posting this episode so late. Um, I actually got my second dose yesterday, and I thought, you know, like, even if I... I'm feeling a little bit groggy the next day, like I'll be able to record an intro and post it. Turns out it was wrong. Um, although I'm lucky that my side effects weren't really that bad. I was advised to drink an uncomfortable amount of water. That seemed to really help. I did sleep for about a total of maybe I don't know, like twenty five hours. Um, yeah, so I am just doing this now at four o'clock on Monday. But that being said, I'm really excited for my episode with Maritza. Um, she's so interesting and has such an a incredible point of view on um, kind of how the pandemic has shifted the way we think about personal space and consent and all this different stuff, um, as well as like how yoga has helped her in her journey and how she's using yoga to empower others. Um, but before I jump into that, I do want to talk about my incredible sponsor, Talkspace. Um, I actually have been using Talkspace recently because uh, I am fortunate enough to get it through my company, which is also Talkspace. Um, but in all seriousness, I cannot discuss how important it is to be seeking help at this time. Like it's truly, as you'll hear in this, you know, this episode. There's a lot going on and um, for those, especially those who've experienced trauma, like adding this rush into a new normal, so to speak, is just an overwhelming load to carry and, and it just, you can't do it on your own. You can't even do it at all, but especially not without any help or someone to speak to. So you all know how much of an advocate I am for therapy, um, while also understanding that it can be really expensive, so I'm so so honored to be able to be providing you guys with a um, hundred offer to get a hundred dollars off of Talkspace, which is a, such a good deal. Like it, you're literally paying paying for maybe like half of a the therapy session in your life for a whole month of therapy, so definitely worth it. Um, so you can just go to. Talkspace.com, uh, Talkspace.com, sorry, and use my code Zoe at checkout. So that's Z-O-E, and you'll get a hundred dollars off. So again, Talkspace.com, code Zoe, hundred dollars off. You won't regret it. Now here is the episode. Um, Better late than never. Sorry about that, guys. and welcome to another episode of Solace in the City. Today, I am so excited to be here with Maritza Puello, who is a well-being coach and certified yoga and meditation instructor. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So I wanted to begin with you um, telling me a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Um, How old are you if you're comfortable sharing? Where did you grow up? What's your story? What's my story?
1: I am native to New York City, where I currently live. I am—I was born in 1900, so we'll <laughs> leave it at that one. <laughs> I um, am first-generation American-born. Of uh, my family came from the Dominican Republic, so um, I was the first to graduate from college in my family. Um, Let's see. What else? I graduated from Fordham University here in the city in the Bronx, Um, went into broadcast television news, where I did a really long, fabulous run that I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity to do. And about four years ago, a little bit more than four years ago, decided to pivot out of that industry and to dive deeply into wellness, Um, because wellness was one of the things that actually kept me grounded and centered and gave me longevity in journalism which is really super unpredictable and crazy hours and a lot of hard work. Yeah. Um so so here I am now. doing a lot of um coaching, mentoring, teaching yoga, um meditation. Uh meditation came to me my access point to meditation was actually through yoga. So um so now I can combine both or just teach them separately.
0: Amazing. So, I, I want to kind of go in somewhat of a reverse chronological order here. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, you kind of you found yoga and meditation through journalism because of, you know, the the burnout that is caused in um such a career. but i I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about your work um as a wellness coach and mindfulness and kind of what led you to becoming involved with, um, exhale to inhale for about two years now. Certainly.
1: Um, as I mentioned, yeah, the, one of the things that was really helpful for me in managing my stress was my yoga and, ma- and meditation practice when I was in journalism. And when I took, uh, I took about like six months, um, after I left the newsroom to kind of just rest and, and I wanna say recover, but it was a lot of rest. It was like enjoying a weekend without having to be called or monitoring some information. Um, and it really was looking at what had helped me work and being able to share that. And I actually um, at a wellness event met Zoe LaPage, the founder of Exhale to Inhale um, and learned a little bit about the organization and decided to volunteer um, and jump in and support them. They, what I love about exhale to inhale is it's trauma informed yoga for people who are survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault. Um, and you would not ordinarily think of how could yoga help or support this particular group of people. Um, and it has been such a pleasure to see how many people have been helped, how it can actually be such uh, a strong cornerstone of the foundation of people being just able to start their healing process on their journey journey of healing um, and learning more about trauma-informed yoga, which um, really was, was new to me when I first learned about exhale to inhale.
0: And so, I mean, I completely agree with you in terms of loving the message um, and purpose of ETI, but I was wondering if and we spoke, you know, earlier this week um, and are both, at, at least from my knowledge, very fortunate to not ha- have had the experience of some of um, the other members of ETI, um, including, you know, Chelsea and Julie, who I interviewed earlier th- um, this month. Was do, was there any, like, particular reason that, you know, you wanted to work with helping this specific group? I mean, aside from just, you know, being an empathetic person and wanting to give back, like, did you have friends who um, had the similar- So you have
1: friends who have experienced that, who have experienced um, either or. Um, one of the things, you know, being Latino, we see in our, um, in our home countries a lot in Latin America, where especially domestic violence against women, violence against women is very, very prevalent um and ETI's partnerships um they work a lot with uh the city agencies that actually service the people who need help with these particular events and traumas so i know that for myself there are people in my community who are um you know people of color who wouldn't even have access to yoga in a, under normal everyday circumstances, because that might not be something that they have access to in their communities, much less see it as something that's a, a support uh, for them. So that was that was something that caught my attention. Um, the fact that that ETI does work with our local um, government agencies that provide services to people.
0: I completely agree. Um, and actually. You mentioning you know how um, domestic violence is v- really pro- prevalent in um, Latin American communities. Just it made me think of because this has been so recent. Have you? Um, did you read the New York Times article like a couple days ago about uh, what PAC- the Prime Minister of Pakistan said um, in regards to rape? No, I just I have not seen that one. I I just want to read it so, out loud so yes. that my listeners can hear this because it's it's insane basically um he blamed a rise in rape cases on how women dress saying vulgarity has consequences and men lack willpower which just made me like my blood boil hearing that um and i think that speaks to you know as you mentioned just the disproportionate levels of domestic violence among different communities and with the United States being, you know, and especially New York being such a diverse population, you can, s- it gives you like more perspective as to why this, you know, is still an issue because, you know, whether it's first generation or people are coming directly from these countries um, with their spouses without either it's normalized in their hometown communities or, there's just, I think, you know, it, it's as like a white woman. I am fortunate enough to not have any direct family members who have experienced this, but after like you know speaking with with um, <clears throat> Julie, she said that her her mom's nine sisters had all had abusers, which is just absolutely insane. Um, but I'm I'm going on a bit of a tangent here. <laughs>
1: No, no, it's 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 a it's a horrible, horrible thing, especially when you hear leaders, men in power, um, victim blame, where it's the you know, the woman shouldn't be doing this or that. um, And it's really horrifying that we are in 2021 and we are still hearing that kind of messaging, Um, because not only is that messaging so detrimental across the board, but especially for a victim. Um, that's a lot of additional Mm -hmm. stress to come forward, um, and speak maybe even report or maybe even seek help. Uh, those are the kind of things that really, really, really hinder people from being able to just begin their, um, healing process. Definitely.
0: It, It actually, that pretty much leads me to my next question, um, which is focused around, um, the theme of a week three of um, ETI's, uh, I guess, sexual assault awareness month initiative, which is what does consent mean in a yoga class. Um, so I'm gonna quickly. <laughs> I feel like I re- I quote New York Times articles like in every other episode of this That's podcast. That's okay.
1: That's good. It's all good. I'm a New York Times subscriber. Yeah, me we support too. the Times.
0: <laughs> Shout out Michael Barbaro. Thank you for the the daily. Um. <laughs> So according to Katherine Rosman, a New York Times reporter, there might be no grayer gray area than a yoga room where physical intimacy, spirituality, and power dynamics come together in a tiny space. After the Me Too movement, yoga students step forward to discuss how hands-on adjustments without consent cross personal boundaries. So my question for you as, you know, a licensed yoga instructor um, is how can yoga teachers use non-physical cues to guide, support, and empower students?
1: Well, that's one of the beauties of of exhale to inhale is that they do not use any hands on adjustments. Um, Actually, it's interesting, uh, uh, Katie Rosman's um, observations, because yoga is presented in so many different ways in so many different settings, where sometimes people just like if you're at the gym, it's just likely to be more physical. Um, You know, if you're going to a yoga studio and there's a particular type of yoga or lineage, then there might be a a spiritual component. Um, But back to ETIs, you know, being trauma informed and servicing a specific group of population that is really giving people to arrive in their mat. And kind of have have that be their own safe space um, where they can just be with themselves and explore. Uh, and the teacher giving the cues verbally allows people to, it's almost like a journey of self-discovery, right? Because it's allowing you to be on your mat. Um, if you want to liken your, your mat to your own domain, to be in that space and to have the freedom to be however you need to be however you want to be in the space that has been created as a safe space for you to be. Um, so ETI's yoga methodology is super, super supportive. Uh, moving on beyond ETI, you know, consent in yoga, you know, we've had the Me Too movement, which has bought so many different industries um, and all of the egregious behavior and the harassment, Uh, that has gone on across industries, well, of course, eventually the spotlight came to the yoga industry. Um, And traditionally, when I started doing yoga about 20 some odd years ago, yeah, very, very, very common. You know, you're in a crowded room, uh, the teacher comes by, puts their hands on you. Excuse me. Uh, That was super common, right? Um, Because the teacher was there to help you get into the full expression of of the pose. Uh, I think there's a couple of things that are happening nowadays. Yoga teacher trainings don't spend a lot of time on, um, on adjustments. You might have to do that as an additional or ongoing training. Uh, and there's a lot that happens when you are physically adjusting someone in a yoga class. I personally, um, Uh, I would say my teaching style, I no longer do hands-on. If I am in a situation where it's a smaller class, I will always ask before I start class for people to identify if they don't want hands-on. But as a general rule, I've peeled back more from that. And it's more of, um, it just becomes complicated. We don't want to, I don't want to break the flow with other students. I don't want to misinterpret someone who maybe said yes, and then they changed their minds, right? I want people to have their own experience. Um, and I think definitely the Me Too movement has has just brought to light to people to be more respectful or more mindful of other people's personal space. Super, super important. And I, d- I, d- I did wanna add one thing though, um, and that's more from the teacher training perspective. I, I had an amazing, um, teacher when i did my teacher training and one of the things that he emphasized which in doing continuing training of yoga is not something that is consistently presented but when you are adjusting someone it is as the teacher you are listening and if you are not in a place of deep listening not only how you approach and step up to the person but if you do put on put your hands on someone it is listening for when you make that connection Uh, of what's going on in the other person are they relaxing are they tensing it's a real skill that needs to kind of you need to be I wouldn't even be so much as trained but to be able to reinforce your listening of the other person Uh, Mm -hmm. because you just need to listen to how that person's body's responding
0: yeah it's like feeling the energy in that moment
1: Mm mm-hmm And actually you will, you will get physical cues as well. It might be a subtle release. It might be a sigh. It's, it's a very uh, subtle response to the other person. And sometimes it's just not appropriate for the students to be pushed beyond where they are in that moment.
0: Yeah. And something, so something I found interesting, um, you know, in a number of ways, and I, I know, uh, Uh, after speaking with you earlier this week, we planned on discussing this, but so it's, it's funny that I'm just thinking back to when I first got to Texas, where obviously the social distancing measures are much different than New York city. Um, But I I was at a bar class, uh, like a bar three. And one of the teachers mentioned, she just like alluded to the fact that since COVID, um, they they weren't allowed to do hands on adjustments that was part of what you know if they were allowed to start classes again as long as people wore masks at their stations and no hands on adjustments um but you know that lends itself to many other things it's like physical touch in the time of the pandemic has is completely missing altogether so from your perspective how has COVID-19, social distancing, and isolation impacted survivors of sexual assault?
1: I think um, I'm going to talk a little bit more general. <clears throat> I think everybody's been impacted by COVID um, and to whatever degree uh, interaction with other people is, uh, have has been. So if you are, like I live in New York City, so at the beginning of pandemic, everything closed up literally overnight. It was a ghost town. Um, It was super apocalyptic, right? So right now in New York, for New Yorkers, we generally have more personal space, right? There's less people on the subway. Uh, Most places are less crowded. If you go out to eat, it's only 50% occupancy for indoor dining. So there's a lot more personal space. But as things start to open up and it gets a little bit more crowded. I know in my experience and other people have shared, it's kind of a little bit abrupt. Like there's instances where you're interacting with people, they come into your personal space. It's a little bit more aggressive, right? And part of that is because we've spent a year and change kind of in a bubble situation. I won't call it lockdown, but bubble. So if you're in your household, you are primarily with the people in your household. Um, again, if you're in public spaces, there's a lot more people, a lot less people in those public spaces. So you have more personal space, um, for people who are sexual assault victims, if they are already living in a space where maybe their abuser is with them, that is super high anxiety, super high anxiety. And then you take this bubble that's been fortified, um, It can really really make people feel very unsafe it can make people uh increase their stress and anxiety so if we really think of pandemic just kind of like magnifying whatever was going on for you so if you were stressed you're going to be you're going to feel that more if you were anxious you're going to feel that more but with people of of victims of sexual assault it is very very possible that they are being re-traumatized and their their traumas being re-triggered and reactivated during covid. Um
0: mm-hmm.
1: so if they are stepping into an in-person class um you know it's really you know this is where the the ETI method is so beautiful where they can actually just come in and just be acknowledged as being there and allowing them to have their own personal space because in my opinion and this is my opinion I believe that covid um has really changed the way that we perceive ourselves, our personal space, right? Because I know that myself, I feel like I have more personal space when I go out because there's less people on the street. Uh, New York is really densely populated. So for people like, you know, where you are, it's if you're driving in a car, you have more time, you have more chances of spending time where you have more space to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really feel like, yeah, the the personal space issue is something that as we come together um, post-pandemic, I don't think it's going to be immediate because of the, the occupancy limitations. So people will have more space. But as we come back more to how uh, yoga classes and fitness classes were pre-pandemic, um, I think that's something that teachers need to be extremely sensitive and aware of.
0: Definitely. I also think... You know, it's so interesting. I was talking with friends, um, my friends who still live in New York, and they talked about how last, I guess it was last weekend, they went to a bar for, like, the first time in a year. And I guess this bar was a little bit more lax on the, the COVID restrictions because they said they walked in and it was packed. And, like, they were so overwhelmed and just – and they're social people. It's it's not even like, you know, they're it's not like they're introverts or something, which is totally fine, but you know, the, it's just the the abruptness, I don't know if that's a word, but like of going from you know, either being in a um a place that you're either alone or with your close friends to suddenly a packed room a loud packed room with strangers that's something just we haven't experienced in the past year even yeah i
1: think that's it's it's really interesting to me because our shutdown at least in, in new york was literally like overnight yeah but we can't open up at that rate and again we've gotten used to Um, You know, I've heard a lot of people and myself, even pre-pandemic, I was like, I'm so bored. Like people don't allow themselves to be bored. Right. And in Mm -hmm. in boredom, when you're bored, you can actually start to explore your environment or your surroundings. So I think, again, a lot of people have slowed down because that's been what's required of us because there's no place to go or there's nothing really to, you know, the usual New York things that are accessible to us as far as activities we're not available. So maybe we're more used to literally sitting on the couch and watching Netflix. But now we're at a crowded bar where there's other people, there's a lot of stimulus that's coming at you. It's music, it's other people, it's sounds, it's it maybe aromas. Um, it can be a lot for everyone because it is kind of like getting on that ramp to go onto the highway And instead of cruising on, you know, thirty miles an hour, people are expected to cruise right in seventy-five miles an hour, and be like, "Oh yeah, pandemic, we're over that. It's like no big deal, you know. Like we're we're ready to like keep on, uh, you know, just going down the highway at full speed." And I think just like your friends going to this bar, and as you mentioned, social people, not introverts, not people that like to stay at home normally. I think we're going to see a lot of that in different aspects of different activities when we are fully open, especially in New York, because I think that sometimes we have uh, people outside of New York have that New York bias and they forget that New York is a really densely populated city. It's Mm -hmm. not um, that New Yorkers are necessarily extra. Um, It's just a lot of people living in a small space.
0: Yeah. It's interesting too. Um, and you kind of, you mentioned this earlier, but the, the aspect of boredom, I think, I mean, having lived in New York two and a half years before being here and also just, you know, living in like New Jersey, which is the suburb of New York, basically as a child and going and, and seeing my parents who were New Yorkers, it's a very, as I'm, I'm sure, you're aware of like intense city, like everyone is going 150 miles an hour every single day, like pre COVID, let's say. And then I think that's part of what caused this sense of like boredom and agitation. And like in the beginning of COVID, of like, what am I going to do? Like, I still need to go 150 miles per hour, but it's like, it's like literally almost like laws of physics. Like when you're like, I don't, I forget what. It, the law is but when you're like Mm -hmm. going and then like something just prevent like you have to hit something in order to stop or whatever the whatever newton's law is um and then i think because it's been 12 months people have finally slowed down Mm -hmm. and it's like how do you how are you expected to go back like back to going from like zero to 150 miles per hour in literally a weekend it's I'm. It's, it makes me really worried for the mental health community and people who who are dealing you know, with trauma, social anxiety. It's, yeah. And, and especially
1: just all of that. people who are dealing with trauma, because then you put all of that on top of, uh, you know, literally the city that never sleeps. I have gotten the best sleep since like, I don't even know, since probably before I was in a newsroom. Uh, in the last year, because there's less street traffic, there's less people on the street making noise at rando hours. Um, you know, that's made a huge difference there. It is so amazing to walk again, just walking down the street and having personal space, like not have to be like always vigilant of my personal space because, uh, you know, like pre pandemic, not even so much of, um, of a safety issue though, that was a big portion of it, but just like not wanting to bump into people, not wanting to have people, you know, like to have some sort of personal space um, around me. Uh, Yeah, it's definitely, uh, I think it's very unrealistic for people to expect everyone to be back at 150 miles an hour without repercussion, meaning without having something affect their mental health, uh, without discomfort, I think it's very, very um, unrealistic to put those expectations on anyone, but especially if we know that people people who are um, who have had trauma, because this is the one thing that is so, um, just going back a little bit to our consent in the yoga community conversation, we don't know people's stories, right? We don't know what people are carrying. We don't know what they're dealing with, what they're grappling with, what they're struggling with. Um, so I feel like in our time of pandemic, we need to be much more gentle, uh, and compassionate, not only with other people, w- with ourselves, meaning like, if I can't go 80 miles an hour, I'm not going to go 80 miles an hour. Like you go I'll catch you when I can, ca- you know, see you when you get there, when I get there two days later. Um, but I feel like we really need to be mindful of that. There's been a lot of change uh, in the last year. And pandemic has required us to drop the things that normally would have either helped us uh, be entertained or helped us have a distraction or just helped us have fun and blow off steam. We haven't had um, access to most of those things. And those things, yeah, those those things, Zoe, I think, for some people um, may have changed dram- dramatically or drastically. Like the thing that you did before, maybe for fun or to blow off steam or to manage your stress may not be the thing, the go-to now. So we need to give each other that opportunity as well to kind of yeah. like rediscover, reconnect with what works and what doesn't work.
0: Um, and what was fun before
1: maybe is not fun now.
0: Yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering, and I'm like, I'm putting myself in the shoes of the person I'd be if I were in New York right now, Um, as in if I hadn't come to Texas, like, how would I be reacting to, you know, everything opening up? And it reminds me of those memes that are like, <laughs> like, oh no, what am I, I forget, I can't think of one on the top of my head, but basically something along the lines of. You know, like COVID, like now I don't have an excuse. Like COVID's given me an excuse, an excuse not to go yes, out. Yes, to
1: stay home. Yeah, like now it's exactly. my memory. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a great point. Do you need to have an excuse? Can you just say no? Thank you.
0: Yeah, I think, and I think that's what's hardened, uh, that's what I would love for you to kind of give my listeners advice on because I'm the type of person who, like, even before the pandemic, like, I love a night in. Like, I stayed in last night. I love just. To, especially in New York when if I go out it's like I know I'm going to be spending money I know mm-hmm. I'm going to be probably cold be up late and just tired the next day like granted that's my own doing but it's also you know a result of my social circle and wanting to see my friends and especially now when people are like wow I haven't seen my friends mm-hmm. it's in a year mm-hmm. and I haven't been to a bar in a year and they want to go fr- they think they want to go from zero to 100, they think they need to go from zero to 100, but I think either, you know, someone like me would be very self aware that that is not good for my mental health. But for, I think for other people, they may not at least know that mm-hmm. at the top of their head, even though it's not healthy for anyone from, you know, to go from zero to 100 like so quickly. So, what advice would you give to someone who? you know, may feel pressured to be making up for lost time, so to speak yeah. and saying no in, you know, I, because I think something I've been all working on is being more comfortable saying no, being less of a people pleaser, just a, setting boundaries. So what advice would you give to that person who is, you know, feeling these conflicts of interest in a post pandemic world?
1: I think the first thing to realize is that we can never make up for lost time. Time, if it's gone, it's gone. What you can do is start to, uh, to practice mindfulness. Um, mindfulness is the ability to be present in the moment without criticism or judgment. So I feel and that that is supported through mindfulness meditation, but we're just looking at mindfulness. So it is I just want to clarify that for everyone. Mindful med, mindfulness is a type of meditation. There is a meditation uh, technique, lineage, but I'm just talking about being mindful um, and how you connect to yourself in the present moment. It can be through meditation, um, that is what I teach. The, the The foundation of my teaching is mindfulness meditation. It has made such a huge impact personally in my life. But you can be mindful, the artist who is creating, who is fully, you'll hear people say, I'm in the flow. The artist who's creating, who loses track of time, they're fully present to the moment. The person who's surfing, the surfer dude, who's like, ah, I caught the wave and I was one with, you know, the mother earth or the ocean or the water or the cut, whatever, right? They're fully present. That's not what they're saying. That's not, you know, like the surfer dude is like, ah, I was, you know, Nirvana, but that's fully present, no judgment, no criticism. So when you are cultivating that, what comes up is the ability to have clarity of what you want. So then that's the first step, clarity of what you want, of being able to say tonight, I really want to stay home tonight I want to see my friends, but I don't want to, I don't want to go out all night. I want to be home by 11. Um, I can meet you at the first bar, but I'm not going to the second bar or I can meet you for, right. All of those, those choices legitimate, but if you don't have clarity, it's going to be harder for you to make those choices. So if you can start to connect with what do I really, really want tonight? What do I want to do? I want to see the whole group, some people in the group. So maybe that's like, hey, I'm out for tonight, but let's, you know, let's get together tomorrow for brunch or breakfast, right? But navigating that requires for you to be able to sit with yourself in that moment and say, this is what I want without judging, without making yourself right or wrong, without criticizing, I'm, you know, should be going out, I should be making up for lost time. If we can sit with that decision and have the freedom not to judge or to be self-critical, then there's more ease. It's always gonna be an uncomfortable process telling people no, especially if it's people that you enjoy and that you love being around, they may not get it or understand, and they may be judging you and you're gonna have to be okay with that as well. But being transparent, Right. So I have a friend who's having a birthday gathering um, and it's going to be small. But she uh, let people know, hey, ninety nine percent of my invited guests and myself are either uh, have received their first vaccination shot or are fully vaccinated. There's one person who's that you know outlier who doesn't want their vaccine. If you're comfortable being in this environment, please join me for my birthday celebration. So there's that other side as well. Is being transparent with people. We are gathering at this place. It's going to be crowded. Are you okay? Going to be here? Because if not, I get it. I love you. I'll see you another time. So I think there has to be more um, conversation around or discussion rather than meet me, you know, at 73rd and Second Avenue at 8:30 at night at the place on the corner um, because that's going to open up us being more accepting of how we begin to interact with each other without being like, Oh my God, you've become a party booper or, Oh my God, you are like way crazy party animal, right? Like we can just start to make those connections in a way that's going to be more freeing and easy for the person who's inviting or participating or the person who is, is just, you know, like tonight I'm out. I love you all from a distance, but I need to stay home. And that actually, Zoe, oak, can potentially open up conversations about how people are doing with, with their mental health. Like, how are you feeling? Yeah. Right? That's a great That's access so point for us to start because me personally, I'm a household of one, and I feel that as we come back out into the world, I'm considered to be a, a fairly social person. But I've spent so much time by myself, I'm like, I think I'm losing my social skills. Um, And maybe I won't know until I get out there and I won't know what's going to, what I'm going to be comfortable with. But if I'm stepping into a social situation, I want to let people know if I got to dip out early or if I got to like not move with the group as the group moves. It's not about you. It's about me. Mm -hmm. So don't make it about you. If I need to take care of myself in that moment, if I've been at the party and it's an hour and I'm done right. I catch you on the next one. Yeah. Right. And, and also the flexibility of changing plans at the last moment. Like, let's say like, you're, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. It's time to shower and get dressed. And you're like, I can't, we got to be really flexible. And again, kind and compassionate with letting people dump out at the last minute.
0: Yeah. I think compassion in this situation is huge and letting people, like in having grace for people's decisions. Just
1: to say, you know what, I get it. I feel you. I got you. It's okay. I catch you on the next time. And not make it a judgment and not be harsh with people about it because we are literally in a global pandemic. And we are all affected in different ways. Right. Like, you know, in other places, you know, restrictions and regulations are lifting completely. But that doesn't mean that if you live in a community where you don't have to wear a mask and you can go wherever you want, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be uncomfortable going out just because, you know, the restrictions are lifted. Yeah, they came in overnight. They may be lifted overnight, but check in with yourself just because the restaurant says that they can welcome in a hundred percent seating capacity. That might not be the place for you. Mm -hmm. And that's totally okay. Yeah. And that's totally okay. And it's okay not to be okay in the middle of a global pandemic. And Mm -hmm. I feel like we put that pressure on, especially in New York, back to the New Yorkers. We can do it. We can push through. We're New Yorkers. We're rough and tough. The rats eat pizza on the subway. right? That's all fun and games. But at the end of the day, you have to decide what is appropriate for you. And I'm going to say it in that moment. Because what may have worked for you yesterday at five o'clock is not going to work for you Saturday at two 30. And that is okay. Because if you are fully in the present moment, then you're going to know that right now, right now coming to the right now, this is the best that I can do right now.
0: Yeah. That's amazing advice. And I completely agree. So before I wrap up, I always end with a few um, questions unrelated to conversation but I like to end with them okay first question is what's one thing in your life that's happened to you that's made you a stronger person today
1: um oh my god there's so many but I'm gonna say pandemic I'm gonna go to pandemic because pandemic completely changed uh my day-to-day pre-pandemic was running all over the city teaching um you know literally like uptown downtown east side west side all over the place. Um, very, very active uh, life in the sense of, like, wow, a lot of things going on. Like, literally, the um, my phone was set to alarms anywhere from, like, four to six alarms every day, just keeping me on track because I physically had to move from place to place. Being at home for basically a year by yourself, you get bored. You start to... Uh, you know, sit with yourself in a different way. And I'm very grateful for my meditation practice and the yoga practice as well because it's just given me that opportunity um, to just commune with myself in a way that I had no idea was possible.
0: Definitely. Next question is, do you have a favorite quote or mantra that you live by?
1: Um. Interestingly enough, not a favorite, but I feel like there are... Um, there are times when there is a, there are times when I work with a specific phrase. So not one forever. Um, but the one that I'm working with now is everything works in my favor. Everything and I just repeat it, everything works in my favor. Because for me, that one is something that uh, as we step out into the worlds of the unknown, right, it, it's, it's a little hectic and stressful and, and can be filled with a little bit of fear or a lot of fear. Um, so moving out of this, this the, I would say the bullseye points of the pandemic as we start to open up and we don't know exactly what it's going to look like or for me, what my life is going to look like. Yeah, it's kind of like, oh, I'm stepping on on ground that is not really solid yet because it's kind of like shifting. So I'm working right now with everything works out in my favor, that I'm trusting that I'm on the right path, moving in the right direction in the right time. Um, and that, yeah, everything's good. Everything's good. Mm-hmm. What do you love most about yourself? Um, I think it's my ability to learn. I think it is my ability to learn, because sometimes as people get a little older, those people born in the 1900s, like me, (laughs) um, we sometimes think that with age comes a certain, like, I know everything. Um, And that's great if you feel that way, but I feel like, you know what, we are always, there's always an opportunity to learn. And this world is changing so quickly that there are so many things to learn. Um, And that has been one of the things that pandemic has been great for is having the ability to connect with people and discover things um, on the Internet that I wouldn't have had time to look for or even come across. Um, Yeah, so definitely the ability to learn.
0: And last question, which is the name of the podcast, is how do you find solace in the city?
1: For me, it is going to uh, either the water, either one of the rivers, Um, Central Park is like that is my background is people who follow me on Instagram will see many, many pictures of trees of my tree friends. Um, It is just finding that little patch of nature um, just to remind me
0: that, you know, we live on planet Earth. We're not planet concrete. I love that. And that was my that's my favorite part of New York, too, is just walking while well, I lived by the East river. So I'd run by the East river. And then whenever I could make it to central park, I would, especially honestly during COVID it was kind of the nicest time. Cause it was so empty. <laughs>
1: exactly. Because everybody that could, you know, everybody that was wanted to or could leave the city left. So it was just, you know, us New Yorkers who were still here enjoying that personal space.
0: Definitely. Well, Maritza, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Where can everyone follow you, um, learn more about your wellness pra- um, practice and coaching and um, yoga teaching and etc. Um, how can they support you? Plug everything.
1: Uh, my website is Tika Life and it's t i k a l i f e dot net. Tika And you can follow me on Instagram at Coco Dark, C-O-C-O-D-A-R-K, because I love my dark chocolate. Um, And those are the two best places to find out, you know, when I'm popping up events. Um, If anybody's interested in coaching, you can DM me, email me, go to the website um, for contact. Uh, Yeah, lots of good things. And I have some, uh, I'll be popping up some yoga and meditation uh, sessions starting probably around Memorial Day in Central Park because I like to teach um, outside. And it's gonna be great now in our post-pandemic world because you know we can do small groups outside and I really like to help people connect back to that feeling of nature and earth, even though we are in the city. Um, so those are always really, really fun
0: events. Amazing. Well, thank you so much again and bye everyone. Bye, thank you so much.